Well, good morning, church. Okay, I heard that the last service was the best service, so I'm going to try this again, because that was worse than when I woke up out of bed this morning and said good morning to myself. So let's try that again. And I didn't, okay? You with me? So let's try that again. I said good morning, church. That was still, we got high schoolers and college students in the room this morning. Okay, let's try it one more time. Good morning, church. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, it's so great to be with you. My name is Gerald Fediomi. I got a chance to hang out with you guys last year. It's good to see you again, uh, and it's good to be back. As Pastor Bob mentioned, my wife and I uh, are church planners in Atlanta. We're planning a brand new church in January of next year, and so I've kind of been in a process this year of getting that off the ground, which has been a ton of fun. Uh, but when we're not working on that, we get a chance to travel and, and get to be a part of moments like this. And so it truly is a gift to be with you this morning. Uh, we do have a family. My little girls were just born uh, when I was here last year. They are now 14 months. This is them, uh, Wesley Grace and Zoe Faith, and my daughter, and my wife, Kylie, right there. Uh, and I love them so much. Uh, our girls, I think arguably are the cutest girls in the world. Um, and so they're a ton of fun. We have another little one on the way on July 10th, another little girl. Her name's going to be Trinity Hope, um, which we're really excited about. I told my wife we had to name her Trinity because that was my way of telling God we're done with girls. Like theologically, the circle on girls, it's closed. Boy, okay, you with me? All right, cool. Um, and so that's a ton of fun, uh, and we love them. I'll tell you, as much as I love my girls, there are moments where they drive me up the wall, um, and they're teaching me a lot about life. I thought I had life figured out, and then I had kids, and I realized I didn't know anything at all. Any new parents in the room feel me this morning? You're like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, I thought I knew what it was like to be tired, and then I had kids, right? And I'm like, this is a new kind of tired. Um, I thought I knew what it was like to be busy, and then I had kids. And so if you're in the room and you're in college or in high school, or honestly, if you're married and don't have kids yet, you're not allowed to use the word busy again until you have kids, right? Uh, it's a different kind of busy, but it's a ton of fun. I'll give you one more. I thought I knew what it was like to be hopeless, and then I had kids. Nervous laughter from a couple moms in the room, right? Like, are you allowed to say that? That feels really dramatic for a Sunday morning. Okay, let me give you some context. I'm gonna give you a little story behind that statement and it'll make it make a little bit more sense. Um, when my daughters were about six months old, my older, Wesley, um, went through about a two or three week span where she was having multiple blowouts a day, every day for two or three weeks in a row. Okay. Uh, if you're in the room this morning and you don't know what a blowout is, just consider yourself blessed and highly favored, okay? Um, a blowout is the, re the direct result of the fall. Okay, so if you're reading through the scriptures, you know, you have Genesis 1 and 2. God creates everything. It's perfect. Everything's good. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve eat from the tree. They're not supposed to. They sin. And as soon as sin enters the world, blowouts happen, right? Like, that's how it works. And so blowouts are a direct result of the fall. They're the worst thing that have ever happened in human uh, history. 7 a.m., I wake up in the morning, uh, I always go and I take care of my girls in the morning to try to let mom sleep in for a little bit longer. And so I go in and I'll tiptoe into their room and leave the lights off so I can pick them up gently and quietly. And so I grab Wesley and I pick her up and she always like snuggles and puts her head right on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the sweetest thing ever. Except for this morning, there's this like ungodly scent coming out of her at the same time. And I'm going, what is happening, right? Like it's seven o'clock in the morning, this can't be. And so I take her and I lay her down on the changing table and unzip her little sleep sack, you know, and I lift up the sleep sack. And as soon as I do, there is a brown line that is just going all the way down the sleep sack. And I'm like, 
it's seven o'clock in the morning. This is unacceptable, right? So I take the little sleep sack off, you know, and if you've, if you've never changed a baby with a blowout, like the goal is to try to salvage as much as you can, right? Like you try to keep as much clean as possible. You try to keep the human feces from getting on everything. And so you're like, okay, like we just try to keep it as clean as possible. And so I get the sleep sack off and now I'm looking at her and I can see her diaper and I can see where the poop has come out of the diaper and has now made its way down her leg. And I'm like, okay, right? And then she does the thing that parents in the room, like you will never say this out loud, but just be honest, you've thought it. She does the thing where you want to drop kick your kid in the throat. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Where she does that like little crocodile roll, you know, and they like roll over and you're like, you know, you are 15 pounds. Like you are not allowed to be this strong, right? Like stop, right? And so they start rolling over. You're like, no. You try to push them back over. And so I push her back over. And as I do, the poop goes off of her leg and up my arm and onto my shirt. And I am losing my mind. My wife is in the other room. She wakes up. She walks into the room. And when she does, I give her that look, parents, you know what I'm talking about, where you're like, that sigh. Okay, if you're not married, you don't understand that sigh. Let me explain. Um, That sigh means this is not your fault, but it is your responsibility, okay? Because this child is your child, not mine. And they behave like this because they got your genes, right? You're like, oh, right? And so I make that look at my wife and I make the sound and, and she goes, are you okay? And I go, yeah, but can you get me a trash bag? And she's like, yeah, sure. And so she gets the trash bag and she comes back and I take the sleep sack and I throw it in the trash and I take the onesie off and I throw it in the trash. And she's like, babe, we can't throw this onesie away. It's from Target. And I'm like, listen, I don't care. It's done. There is no hope for the sleep sack. There's no hope for the onesie. There's barely any hope left for the child and there's definitely no hope for me, right? Take everything and throw it away. It's funny, you know, I was thinking about that moment in our life as I thought about what I would share with you this morning. And what's interesting to me is as I've looked at Facebook posts that people have made, as I've had conversations with friends who were bought into Jesus, but over the last year, some things have changed. As I think about people who were attending church regularly, but now have walked away from the faith, it feels like what I'm watching happening all around our world is that people are metaphorically taking their faith and doing the same thing that I did with that diaper and going, I can't hold on to this. I can't hold on to this. It's gotten way too messy. I can't hold on to this. Things are way too out of control. I can't do anything with this anymore. And they've taken their faith and they've thrown it in the trash. Things are way too politicized. Things are way too messed up. Our world's way too divided can't do it. And I would imagine as I stand in a room a Sunday morning before Memorial Day that's full, that many of you would go, yeah, 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 like, like I know people who've done that, but that's not me. Like, I haven't thrown my faith away. Yeah, things are messy, things are, are jacked up, but like, I'm still holding on to Jesus. And I would believe that that's true. But I'd also challenge you this morning and ask the question, maybe there's an area of your, of your life where you have done this. Well, yeah, you still believe in Jesus, but that situation has gotten so messy. The diagnosis is so bad. The finances are so messed up. You're going, yeah, I still believe in Jesus, but I can't see him showing up in this. 
I don't know that I can hold on to my faith here. I'm in everywhere else, but here I can't see it. Maybe for you it's a relationship. Brother, sister, it's a sibling rivalry that's gotten out of control. Now you can't stand each other. Maybe it's a kid who's walking with Jesus, but now they've gotten older and it feels like they're walking away and you've tried to sit them down and you've tried to have the conversation, but it's not working. It feels like you're not making any progress. Friend, you're like, this has just gotten, the relationship's gotten so messy. And we can't see eye to eye. And God, look, I still believe in you, but I'm not sure if we can make it work in this relationship. God, I can't see how you could show up in this. Or maybe for you, it's a moment, you know, where you've tried to be Jesus to somebody else. You've tried to love them to the best of your ability, but it's the person, they just know how to push your buttons. They know the right thing to say at the right moment and, and they get under your skin and you just have to let them know about themselves for a minute, you know? Like if you've ever talked to your local cable provider, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You're like, I'm trying my best to be a representation of Jesus, but in this conversation, my faith, I cannot hold on to it. You need to know how I feel. And maybe you haven't given up on Jesus in totality, but, but there's some areas in your life where you've done what I've done with that onesie and that sleep sack, and you go, I, it's too messy. I can't hold on. What I want to share with you this morning, if you're taking notes, is a, is a simple message entitled, Hold On to Hope. Hold on to hope, because here's what I believe. I believe even in a wild and crazy world, in a world that feels like everything is falling apart, it is still possible for us to be a people of hope, for Jesus' followers to believe that our best days are still to come, that God is still on the throne, that he is still moving and active, and that hope is on the horizon, that we can indeed hold on to hope. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 25. Um, and as you turn there, I'll give you a little bit of context. The book of Hebrews is written by an unknown author. We're not exactly sure who wrote the book, um, and we're honestly not 100% sure who the author was writing to. Now, over the years, scholars have studied this letter, and as they have, the, the context clues give us a little bit of an idea about the audience that would have received the letter. Um, the, the writer has a, a clear kind of expectation that the audience who's getting the letter has an understanding of the Torah or the Old Testament. And so we can assume, based on the way that the letter is written, that the writer is writing to a primarily Jewish audience that would have understood the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish text and the Jewish story. Not only that, though, as we continue to dig into the letter, what we find is that the author is constantly reminding them not to give up. And so that leads us to believe that the author is writing not only to Jewish Christians, but he's writing to Jewish Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, and they're facing one of two options— that they can either hold on to their faith in Jesus or they can give in to the culture. They can continue to walk with Jesus or they can give in to the societal norms of their day. It's interesting, the letter to the people in Hebrews feels a lot like he was writing to us in 2021. It's two big themes in the book. The big and primary theme is, is this, that Jesus is greater, which that could be a sermon in and of itself. The writer of Hebrews wants the audience to understand Jesus is greater than any other priest who's ever come. He's greater than any other angel. 
He's greater than any other prophet who's come before him, that Jesus is greater. And then you see the secondary theme that is because Jesus is greater, we don't give up on Jesus. Because Jesus is the greater option, we do not give up on Jesus. We hold on to hope. On five different occasions, the writer of Hebrews mentions this word hope. And so it's obvious that in this one letter, he really wants this audience to understand you cannot lose hope in spite of the circumstances you're facing. And so this reference that we'll look at today is the last reference to this word hope that we find in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the writer of Hebrews writes to these Jewish Christians who are likely being persecuted for their faith, who are living in a wild and crazy world, and he says to them, hey, don't give up. I know things are crazy, but hang in there. I know it would be easy for you to give up and go with the culture, but I want you to hold on to Jesus. Hold on to hope. Do not give up. And then he gives them a roadmap by which they do it. Three let us statements, or rather let us commands, that the writer of Hebrews gives us that I believe are a pathway to how we hold on to hope in a wild and crazy world. The first one is this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So the writer of Hebrews says, hey, if you are going to hold on to hope in a wild and crazy world, the first step is you draw near to God. You get as close to God as you possibly can. You understand his heart. You understand his character. You understand his his thoughts and the way that he calls you to live. You get as close to God as you possibly can. You wake up early. You dig into the scriptures. You get on your knees in prayer. You spend time in his word understanding who he is. You draw near to God. I had a friend of mine say to me a few years ago, he said, said, Gerald, your most successful place should be your secret place. Can I just talk to the business leaders in the room? Anyone, any business men or women in the room this morning? No? Okay, yeah, there you go. Y'all are like, yes. Um, Let me just speak to you for a moment. The trap that the enemy wants you to fall in is that your most successful place is your P&L. Is that your most successful place is whether you close the deal or not. Is that the most successful place is how big of a company you can build and how successful you can look on the outside while your world is falling apart on the inside. And for the businessman or woman in the room this morning, maybe the thing that you needed to hear this morning is that your most successful place needs to be your secret place. And it's time to prioritize your walk with God. 
You wake up at 5 a.m. and you open up the scriptures. You go sit out on the front porch or in a closet and you get before God and you go, who do you want me to be? How do you want me to lead this business? How do you want me to lead my family? And you start allowing God to speak his identity into you, to speak truth into you, to mold you and to shape you. And you let that place dictate the way that you lead your business. That your most successful place has to be your secret place. And that's not just true for the business leaders in the room. That's true for each and every one of us in the room. That we have to lean into the person of Jesus. We have to draw near to God if we are going to be a people of hope. Why? Because God is the source of our hope. He's the only source of hope. In fact, that's what Paul would write in Romans 15, 13. He says this, may the God of, someone help me with the word. I couldn't hear you. May the God of, the God of, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with, what's the word? Hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's Paul saying? He's going, God is the source of your hope. And when you draw near to him, He fills you with so much hope that you'll overflow with it. And you'll walk out of your time with God and people will start looking at you going, how is he so hopeful in the middle of this? How does it seem like she has so much peace? That hope starts overflowing out of you and it starts impacting and affecting the people around you. Essentially what Paul is saying is really simple. It's this, that the closer you get to God, the more hopeful you become. The closer you get to God, the more hopeful you become. And so if you've become a pessimistic Christian, I would very quickly be able to identify, you probably haven't been spending a lot of time with God. If you see the world as half empty, I'd question how much time you've been spending with the creator of the universe because our God is a God of hope and he's promised to fill us with so much hope that it will pour out of you everywhere you go. It'll overflow from your life. Anyone have an Apple TV or Apple, uh, not, sorry, Disney Plus, a Disney Plus uh, account in the room? Okay, a few people. Um, sorry, can you keep your hands up? I just need to know who to ask for a password after we're done. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We have our own. Um, there's a movie on Disney Plus. It's called Clouds. A 10 out of 10 do not recommend the movie unless you just want to cry for like three days in a row. Um, the movie is the story of a high school senior who's diagnosed with a terminal cancer, finds out that he's likely not gonna make it to the end of his senior year. And you watch the movie and you're heartbroken for him. But as the story continues, you notice that there's this shift in him where he starts investing in his classmates and pouring into the people around him. And he has this childhood dream that he wants to pursue. And so he goes after it at the end of his senior year. And I'm watching the movie with my wife, tears in both of our eyes going, how is it possible that he has this much hope? How is it possible that you could be so hopeful in such a hopeless situation? And so we finished the movie and immediately I'm like, there has to be more to the story. And so I Google. And the first thing that pops up is his mom being interviewed and telling her son's story. And the first thing out of her mouth is how strong her son's faith was in Jesus. And I go, oh, that's the part that Disney left out in the movie. The only way you get through such a difficult season in such a difficult circumstance. It's about drawing near to the source of hope. And he fills you with his hope and it overflows out of you. How do we hold on to hope in a wild and crazy world? The first thing we do is we draw near to God. 
Second let us statement is this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he whose promise is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he whose promise is faithful. Now, if we're going to understand what the writer, is, uh, writer of Hebrews is saying in this letter, we first have to understand what he means by hope. Okay? So when we think about hope, we think about a preferred future, right? Like, I hope I get that job. I hope he asks me out. I hope she notices me. I hope that my husband will do the dishes when we get home from church today. I hope that Chick-fil-A will be open, which is a false hope, just so you know, it's Sunday, they're closed. Right, but we speak of what we hope for. It's a preferred future. When the writer of Hebrews talks about hope, he's not speaking of a preferred future. And so if we don't understand this, we will misunderstand what they're saying. See, the writer of Hebrews isn't talking about a preferred future, they're talking about a guaranteed future that we have in Jesus. They're talking about the guaranteed future that we have with an, of an eternity with God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and us placing our faith in him. When the writer of Hebrews speaks of hope, he's not speaking of what we're hoping for. He's speaking of who our hope is in. That's why when he finishes saying, hey, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, he says this statement, for he who is promised is faithful. As a reminder, your hope is not in the circumstances or the world that's happening around you. Your hope is in a faithful God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your hope is in in a faithful God who demonstrated his love and his faithfulness to you by sending his son Jesus on a cross to die on your behalf. The writer of Hebrews isn't speaking of a preferred future. He's speaking of a guaranteed future, not what we're hoping for, but who our hope is in. You got to understand there's a difference between what you're hoping for and who your hope is in. It's a huge difference. And I really need you to understand this because here's the deal. If your hope is in the thing that you're hoping for, you will eventually find yourself hopeless. College student, do you hear me? If your hope is in the thing you are hoping for, you will eventually find yourself hopeless. I'll give you an example. Maybe you're hoping for a new job this year. Tired of the place that you're working or you've been without a job for a while and you're hoping for a career switch and There's a job that you have your sights on, you have an interview lined up, and it's looking good. If you're hoping for that job, that's not a problem. It's not a bad thing. It's okay to hope for things that we hope we achieve or experience in the future. Hoping for is not the problem. It's when our hope is in the new job that it becomes a problem. See, because when your hope is in the job, if you don't get the job, then you find yourself back at home going, where was God? I thought you were good. I thought you loved me. I thought you were for me. I thought you had a plan for me. And now you're sitting on your couch and you're hopeless and you're not sure how things are going to work in the days ahead. You see, when your hope is in the job, you will find yourself hopeless if you don't get the job. But here's the difference. When your hope is in Jesus and you're just hoping for the job, you look at the job and you go, God, if that's what you have for me, then I will step into it with boldness and confidence and I will do an excellent job to the best of my ability while I'm there. But even if you don't have that particular job for me, here's what I know. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your love for me is is never ending. Your goodness is guaranteed. And so I'm going to trust that if it's not this job, then you have me where I am for a reason. And even if that means I'm without a job that you want to do something in and through me in this season, I trust you. You're faithful. You're good. My hope is not in the job. My hope is in Jesus. See, because here's what's also true. When your hope is in Jesus, you can remain hopeful even if you don't get what you were hoping for. 
you should write that down. When your hope is in Jesus, you can remain hopeful even if you don't get the thing that you were hoping for. As followers of Jesus, we are a people of hope, but we have to put our hope in the right place, in the right person, and the only place that's secure for our hope is in the person of Jesus. Can I get in your business for a little bit? Yes? Okay, you said yes, so this is your fault. If you watch the news more than you read the scriptures, wonder who your hope is really in. If you watch the news more than you read the scriptures, I wonder who's really shaping your world view. See, some of us, we'd hate, we hate to admit this, but if we're honest, this is true. For some of us, over the last year, our hope has been in Don Lemon, CNN. For others of us, our hope has been in Tucker Carlson, Fox News, instead of in the person of Jesus. And I'm not making a political statement. You vote how you want to vote, you watch what you want to watch, but I'm just telling you, if you spend more time allowing those networks to influence the way you think and influence the way you see the world, you have misplaced your hope. Watch this, every political system Every government, every person, regardless of how good they are, will fail you. You know who does it? For he who's promised is faithful. And so we're a people who anchor our hope to a solid foundation to the person of Jesus. Where's your hope? Who's your hope in? How do you remain hopeful in a wild and crazy world? The writer says, first, you draw near to God. Second, you place your hope in the person of Jesus. And then lastly, he says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I don't know about you, when my world is spinning out of control, I need some people to remind me that God loves me, that he's for me, that he has a plan for me, that he still wants to use me. I need some people to remind me that God is on my side, but not only that God is on my side, that God's still calling me towards love and good deeds, that there's still neighbors I know who don't know Jesus and it's on me to bring them the good news. There's still a waiter or waitress that I'm gonna interact with and it's on me to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. I need some people in my life who are going to remind me of the hope that I've been called to in the person of Jesus and I would be willing to bet you do as well. That you need some people to go, hey, I know that this is difficult, but God still has a plan for you. I know this is difficult, but God still wants to use you. I know money's tight, but you can still be generous. I know things are difficult, but you can still love in a radical way that you need some people to point you on towards love and good deeds. Because hear me, my friends, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. That when Jesus left the planet Earth, you know what he left behind? The Holy Spirit and the ecclesia, the church, you and me. And he left us to be the hope to the world to point to the eternal hope that we have in Jesus. And so we need each other. We cannot do this Christian life 
alone. We have to lean into each other. We have to keep showing up to each other. We cannot give up on meeting together, as the writer of Hebrews says. And when he says that, he's not just talking about showing up at church on Sunday. He's talking about showing up in each other's lives, loving each other in a radical way, visiting each other in the hospital, bringing meals to each other when we're struggling, breaking bread together, eating together, studying the scriptures together, showing up for your small group or your life group. It's doing life together. We need to encourage each other towards love and good deeds because we cannot do this alone. So how do you hold on to hope in a wild and crazy world? One, you draw near to God. Two, you place your hope in the person of Jesus. And three, you encourage each other all the more. Draw near to God. Place your hope in Jesus and you encourage each other all the more. Pastor Bob and I were talking this morning and this was not in my sermon notes, but he shared this quote with me. This woman was saying that if you've grown up in church, you've grown up with an understanding that Jesus is to be worshiped. But for a lot of us, we haven't grown up with an understanding that Jesus is to be followed. And I need you to hear me this morning. The worst thing that could happen is that we would meet on this Memorial Sunday And we would dig into the scriptures and sing songs together. And then we would walk out of these doors and continue to live the way that we've always lived. Imagine what your community would look like, what your family would look like, what the city would look like, what our world would look like if every person in this room decided, you know what, when I walk out of these doors, I'm gonna draw near to God. I'm gonna prioritize my relationship with him. I'm gonna place my hope in Jesus. I'm not gonna put my hope in the things that I'm hoping for. I'm gonna put my hope in a faithful God and I'm gonna encourage my brothers and sisters along the way. Can you imagine how much things would change if we made a decision that that's who we'd be? How do do we hold on to hope in a wild and crazy world? Draw near to God, place your hope in Jesus. We encourage each other along the way. I wanted to try to give you an example of what this looked like. I was reminded of 2015, a story that, that I had the opportunity to live through. It was a moment that honestly wrecked my life, but in the best way possible. I was laying in my bed in my one-bedroom apartment, and I got a phone call from my mentor who led me to Christ from his wife. And I knew something was wrong when she called because she would never call me. It'd always be him. And so I pick up the phone, and Leanne's on the other line, and she goes, Gerald, I need you to go to the hospital right now. Go to CHOA, just Children's Health Care of Atlanta. It's our big children's hospital. She goes, Wes is there, I need you to go and meet him. I go, okay, what's going on? And she goes, I can't explain it right now. Just get in the car and go and meet Wes. I say, okay. So I get in the car and I drive down to Children's Healthcare. And I get there and Wes is standing in the waiting room. I'll never forget the moment he looks at me and he goes, Gerald, I just need you to know I'm about to lose it right now. I hug him and he puts his head on my shoulder and he just starts weeping. It's the first time I've ever seen him cry in my life. He finishes crying, I ask him what's going on, and he proceeds to explain to me that their son, Philip, who's four and a half years old at this point, had a high fever for a couple of days in a row, so they brought him into Choa just to check on him, make sure he was okay. He got there, and he immediately began having seizures. They couldn't figure out where they came from. He had never had a seizure before. They weren't sure what the source of it was. And so the doctors had to make a quick decision, and they decided to place Philip in a medically induced coma to try to figure out what was going on. And so when I show up at the hospital, this is Philip's state. Hopeless situation. Sit in the waiting room with Wes and 
We cry together, we pray together. Eventually I leave and I'm so frustrated. I'm a new Christian at this point and, and I just can't understand. Like Wes is one of the most faithful men that I know. He follows Jesus with his whole life. I can't understand how God would allow this to happen to his son. And so I'm in the car and I'm just so frustrated by the situation. I get home and sit in silence for a while, eventually pull my phone out and start scrolling through Facebook. And as I do, I see a new Facebook group pop up. It's prayers for Philip Bender. So I open it up to see what it's about. And when I get there, there's a note written from Philip's dad, Wes, that says this, Philip Bender update, February 21st, 2015. Thank you all for your prayers for Philip today. We are doing well and Philip has got quite a fight ahead of him with this infection. He had swelling in his brain today that is believed to be caused by viral infection. They are treating it with a slew of antibiotics while monitoring his head for additional swelling. It will likely be up to four days before the staff here is able to determine what the true cause is and whether his body is fighting sufficiently. He is sedated and will likely stay sedated for several days to force his body to fight off the disease. This is beautiful. There are many bright spots. And it is clear we caught whatever this is early. God is working mightily in this. And for me, that is a certainty. At this point, the four and a half year old son is still laying in a hospital bed with no diagnosis. And they're not sure if he'll live or die. He continues on. We have tons of family in town. Leanne and I are well taken care of, but rest assured, I will reach out if we have any needs. The ICU here is small, so visitors can be difficult to manage. Your prayers are appreciated for Philip's body to work hard and for the staff and for Leanne and for me. Leanne, his wife, said it best. God loves Philip with a love that even Leanne and I do not comprehend. It is because of this in faith, that we take refuge past by all of our understanding. To God be the glory. How do you say that when you're not sure if your four-year-old is going to live? How do you carry that posture? I'll tell you how. Because you're still holding on to hope. And this is a family that's very clearly drawn near to God. This is a family that has very clearly placed their hope in the person of Jesus. And this is a family who made a decision that they would let other people encourage them along the way, but not only that, that they would continue to do love and good deeds in spite of their circumstance. And God filled them with his hope. And that hope spilled out of them. It overflowed. It overflowed to the nurses who they provided meals for every day that Philip was in the hospital. It overflowed to the internet where thousands of people heard the story and began to pray for Philip. It overflowed to me. New to the faith, 
trying to understand how God could allow something like this to happen. And I watch a family go, no, 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 Gerald, don't miss this. God is still good. He's still trustworthy. He's still faithful. And we're going to trust him and hold on to hope no matter what the outcome is. And that's the beauty of it. This post wasn't written after they found out Philip was okay. This post was written in the middle of the storm. Regardless of the outcome, we hold on to hope for he who has promised it's faithful. It's two miracles that come from the story. The first is this, is that Philip, a couple of weeks later, was out of the hospital. He's doing completely fine, playing basketball in the backyard as if nothing had ever happened. This is a picture of him now. He's doing great, minus wearing that Tennessee hoodie. Um, we need to pray for him there, but other than that, he's doing fine. Bigger miracle, though, is that a family model to the world that hope is still possible even when the world was spinning out of control. And friends, that's what's on the table for you and me. That we get to be a people of hope because our God is faithful and we can trust him. Doesn't mean we'll get the outcome that we're hoping for on this side of eternity. But it does mean our God has promised there is a day where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more hurt, no more guilt, no more shame. That there is a day that he has promised to wipe away every tear from our eye and that we will get to live in eternity with him forever. He is faithful and we can trust that. But even today on this side of eternity, we know that that hope is coming. And so we get to live as a people of hope today. And the world gets to reap the benefit, but it only happens if we decide we'll walk out of these doors, we'll draw near to God, we'll place our hope in Jesus, and we'll encourage each other along the way. Amen? Father, we love you, and it's a gift that we even get to say that. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for inviting us into relationship with you. And thank you for being a faithful God who fills us with your hope each and every step of the way. So my prayer for us is that we would follow your word, that we'd draw near to you, that we'd place our hope in you, and that we'd encourage each other all along the way. We need you, we trust you, and we love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together real loud, amen.